If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Two, one. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I have a great guest on the line today. I'm talking to Vern Oakley. Vern is a teacher, speaker, author, and filmmaker. He wrote a new book recently titled Leadership in Focus. Creates films for Fortune 500 companies, universities, non-governmental organizations, and lots more. He's worked with big companies like NYU, Pfizer, and many, many more household brand name companies. He's a master at video storytelling and helping leaders connect with their tribe in an authentic and genuine way. I'm pleased to have him on the show today to tell us a little bit about storytelling, creating branded content, expert positioning, and stimulating action using the awesome power of video. So with that said, Vern, welcome to the show. Thank you. What a great introduction. Looking forward to talking to your audience today. Great, man. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know I spoke with you in the pre-chat, but uh, tell us a little bit about how you became you know, a maestro at video storytelling. You know, I kind of stumbled into this, you know, early in my career, I was directing theater in New York City. I had um, done some television news uh, work in Washington, D.C. Um, I was looking to combine the storytelling skills that I'd created in the news um, room with sort of the mastery of acting and emotions, the theater. And I got the opportunity to do a film for Canada early in my career, and it was incredibly successful. I uh, got a standing ovation at a conference that it was showing at, and, and I thought, hey, this is kind of fun. You know, We get to make films that are creative. We get to think of the way that they will be creative. We get to sell them and get to play them for audiences and have them react to it, and it was a brand new thing to me. I didn't realize at that point in time that you know, companies actually were making films in the same way that Hollywood did or television did. Mm. Growing up, for example, were you that kid um, that had a camera that was making videos at home or you just kind of fell into it while you were learning in college? And okay, you peeked on my Facebook page. Of I course I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, my, cam- my parents were kind enough. They bought me a Super 8 camera when I was a kid. And so I would take the family movies, you know, when we'd go on vacation or at Christmas or Thanksgiving. And, you know, it was always fun to me to try and get real reactions. I mean, I think that was what was like, I'd love to see my grandmother be surprised or say, put that camera down Vern or my sister to start hamming it up so I liked that interaction um, between the camera and the individual with me being safely behind it Mm. yeah but uh, you being safely behind the camera have you ever experienced being in front of the camera that made you really vulnerable that you now realize that you know what I know I'm not the best in front of the camera let me stick to what I know 
Yeah, I, I have experienced that. And it, there is a tremendous vulnerability in terms of being in front of the camera. And um, I wouldn't have been able to write the book about it having if I hadn't experienced it, uh, because I wanted to have empathy for those leaders and those CEOs that, you know, choose to put themselves on camera, choose to share their message to the video medium. It's a very powerful medium, and it can be a little intimidating. The icy glass eye of the lens, sometimes, you know, some tribes think it sucks the soul out of you. Where did the origin of the book come from in your 30-plus year career? Well, as I said, gee, I started in theater in New York, and one of the great experiences that I had, I had some terrific mentors along the way. I was invited to study at a um, studio in New York called the Act, called the Actors Studio, mm-hmm. um, and it's famous for people like you know Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Paul Newman and Ellen Burstyn being there. But there's, and so most people know it about the acting. But there's a small unit called the Playwrights and Directors Unit where filmmakers and playwrights and screenwriters are brought in to share their work in a workshop atmosphere and it's critiqued um, by the moderator. And the moderator that I had for several years was uh, an American director named Arthur Penn Mm. who did Bonnie and Clyde among another – among a lot of different films and that – um, I always thought he was one of the smartest, most insightful directors that I got to study with. Mm. And he passed away a few years ago, right before I started the book. And in his obituary, it mentioned that one of the things, in addition to directing early television and multiple features, was that he directed John F. Kennedy's rehearsal before going on stage to debate with Richard Nixon Mm -hmm. in the Nixon and Kennedy debates. And at that point in time, I sort of realized that the many acting teachers that and directing teachers that I had had shared their knowledge. It was passed down. You know, um, two of my teachers studied with the world-renowned, sort of considered the father of modern acting, Stanislavski in Russia. So these were um, ways of teaching, ways of being, ways of encouraging performance that were shared with me. And I said, well, I bet you somebody has already done this. I bet you somebody's already shared this way of being in front of the camera mm-hmm. with non-professionals. And you know, it's easy to Google that, easy to look on Amazon, and no one had written a book about it. And I thought that part of what I had to do is to give back the knowledge that had been so uh, generously given to me. Mm, that's amazing. And as you mentioned, the story of uh, your mentor, Arthur Penn, um, mentoring Kennedy in the Kennedy versus Nixon uh, debate. I remember reading somewhere in the book that that was kind of like the first time this strategy had been brought to the political arena because up until then, nobody had actually used that. And then from there, people now started following it in business and in uh, the corporate and non uh, and the nonprofit sector. So those lessons learned from your mentor, you take that and you distill that to write this book. Now, in, the, in, in, in that particular story, it says that uh, when people were listening on radio, Nixon sounded like he did better, but when they watched it on TV, Kennedy did 
way better because he came across as a confident speaker. He came across as he was mm-hmm. very natural. He came across like a real human being. So the battle has always been there between audio and visual, you know, across time. So how does one know where to, you know, play to their strengths if you are going to become uh, an expert on authority, an authority in the, um, the public space? You know, that, that's a great summation uh, of that lesson, and it, it's a journey. I mean, this is what I talk about. A lot of people are very hard on themselves and very judgmental and think, hey, I wasn't good. or And just like, hey, give yourself a break. You know, you're learning a new skill. You know, if you were skiing down the mountain, you wouldn't get upset if you fell down uh, a few times the first 10 or 15 times you went down. So, um, you know, whether you're really good in the audio area – you know, and doing podcast or radio, or whether you're good in the video area, um, is something you kind of discover over time. I personally like the podcast area a lot more than I like the video area because I don't like being on camera as much. So <laughs> I've discovered that about myself, even though I wrote a book about it. Um, and that what you start to realize, whether it's in the audio area or in the video area, when you're communicating, um, we as viewers look at three things, both consciously and unconsciously. Mm-hmm. We're really looking at the, you know your facial expressions and whether they match. The thing in the Nixon-Kennedy debates is Nixon was kind of sweaty and looked kind of swarmy and like you know, maybe he was a crook, you know, even though he claimed to be, I'm not a crook. Mm-hmm. Um, and that um, when you marry that with your vocal intonations – where you're positive and you're excited versus, you know, you know, if you said something, you know, hey, you know, I really, really love my wife. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to believe it. You need that excitement. Like, because mm-hmm. I do love my wife and what a special person she is. And so you have your facial expressions and your body language and the words that you're actually using and the timbre of your voice. So mm-hmm. on video, you got to make all of those work. Yeah. And if you can make all of those work, you know, you can become a really competent, capable, or maybe even a star in the video medium. So what are some strategies to help someone unlock their true selves as they come in front of the camera? I know you've done this a lot with helping CEOs, but for young people that are transitioning from the job market to either becoming entrepreneurs in the video space, like we have a lot of YouTube celebrities and YouTube stars. How can mm-hmm. they start embracing that uh, that skill and developing them through their true selves on camera? It's a great question. One of the things that is apparent to me is that this younger generation has been around um, cameras so much more just because the price of cameras has decreased. It's not like when I was a kid with a Super 8 camera and, and my parents got you know three free rolls of film and you know I shot them all up and they said, "Hey, slow down." You know that cost us money every time you develop them. <laughs> you know, so that the younger generation has been around cameras and they're a bit more used to it. So it has to do with familiarity. The other thing in terms of being authentic on camera is that there can be a tendency to sort of 
pull a mask over yourself, as, mm-hmm. as I like to say, because you're trying to project somebody who's confident or mm-hmm. somebody who is capable. And one of the things that is, is sort of a tip that we all know intuitively, if you're watching feature films, one of my favorite parts to watch is on the um, extras, where they always have the bloopers. Mm-hmm. And when you notice how actors do bloopers, it's like a secret key to help everyone else is they just slough it off. They just laugh. They just realize they're having a good time and they'll do another take. So this perfectionistic tendency that so many of us have, I know I have it. If we can avoid that and just laugh at these moments and just go and 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 experience and feel and if possible say out loud what's there so you are connected to your inner chi sorry little pun there um <laughs> and that and as you connect to that and bring that forward the lens is a magnificent inf- instrument for capturing that mm. so the other thing I like to say, and this is sounds so simplistic but is so true, is people forget to breathe. Hmm. Talk, so, say a little bit about that because I know I suffer from that problem quite a bit, even, even talking on audio. Well, um, there's a famous quote um, by Abraham Maslow that uh, fear is just excitement without the breath. Hmm. So what we're talking about is people being afraid of being on camera. And so if you start to breathe, you know, and you realize, hey, this is really excitement, exciting. You know, it's like if you change your mental attitude, the way you're viewing it as something playful. So I like to try and make the set fun because it's a little bit intimidating. You know, would you come onto one of the sets that we have where there's a number of lights and, you know, 10 technicians around and the sound person's putting the microphone on. So um, one thing, and I realize it's not that way for all your listeners because maybe they're just recording off of their computer. Yeah. Maybe they're just recording off of their iPhone. Um, But, you know, what you you see on YouTube and the YouTube stars out there, which is a great um, model, is that they're having fun. And so having fun and making sure you breathe, I think the two biggest things you could do to be authentic. Hmm. And as you were talking about that, I remember that um, I think the fear actually comes from insecurities that people have that oh, people might judge them for not being perfect or not being good enough. And that reminded me of one of the stories in the book, you know, the King's Speech by uh, King George and um, and his uh, voice coach. I want to say Lionel. I forget his last yes. name. Yes, mm-hmm. Lionel. Yeah. Yes. So I remember in that speech, and I also remember, I think it was in the movie too, that when the voice coach asked him that, you know, you give a great speech, but you still stammered. Like, why did you stammer on your W's or something like that? And the king was like, you know, I had to let people know that it's it's still me. You know, it's still George right. that everybody right. knows <laughs> is a stammerer and a stutterer in the UK. So uh, how, how can people embrace their insecurities and their flaws to help them uh, magnify the connection to people? To their audience. Yeah, so uh, th- that's a deep and complicated subject. I'm going to try to simplify it. So um, I'll just take it, take a crack at it from my own personal point of view. 
I can be insecure. I can think I'm not having a good day. I can be uptight. And that um, I like to say those are all emotions. So if we can just recognize that emotions are just like clouds in the sky, they just kind of float by. You know, and, and in five minutes, you know, you know, the sun may break through. So you don't have to internalize that emotion. You don't have to accept that emotion um, um, and embrace it. You just have to acknowledge that that's what you're feeling in that moment. Mm. And that the more you are connected between that's what I'm feeling in that moment and, you know, you can even say, hey, I'm feeling a little insecure. All of a sudden, that's an authentic moment on camera. Mm, right. Yep. You know, so, so, and, and then if you're working with a good director or, um, um, they'll help you, or if you're just on your own and the audience sees you going, Hey, I'm a little insecure at this moment. I don't think my hair looks good. You know, people gravitate and want to see real moments. That's what touches us. That's the connectivity that happens. And that vulnerability that you're expressing um, endears people to you as opposed to the perfection that we think people will want to see. Oh, that's very interesting. I just mentioned the director. So what's the role of having someone, having a team in production? I know you work with a lot of CEOs and executives. So what's the role of having a good team, a good director, a good scriptwriter, a good production team supporting the person in front of the camera giving the talk? It, it just makes everyone's life easier because everyone has a role and responsibility. So the director's role and responsibility is to make sure that the talent is performing connecting looks good. Um, the director of photography's role is to make sure that the lighting looks good. Um, the, the script may have been, you know, written, um, by us or somebody at the company or even the person who's going on camera. And so one of the roles that the director has to perform is to make sure the script is actually communicating and that the director has to make sure, like we were discussing earlier, that the words the voice and the body language all align because those are the most important moments that will actually be in the film. Those are the real genuine moments. If the voice, you know, is, is fine, but it doesn't align with the body and vocal intonation, probably going to do a different take. Um, the other key crew members are the sound person. You know, they have to make sure the audio is really good. Sometimes people hit their chest when they're talking, hit the microphone, um, or reach up. So, um, life becomes a little simpler and a little more professional when you have a crew there to, to help you. Um, and I like to say the director is sort of the mirror. The director is the person who has to tell the truth to the person who's coming on camera. Mm -hmm. So they have to be, you know, they have to be as clean and pure in the moment so they can speak truth to someone in a gentle and kind way and ask for something else, particularly, you know, with CEOs, because, you know, you know, sometimes CEOs can be intimidating, you know to, you know, the employees whose careers they may hold in their hands. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And in your experience of over 30 years of doing this business, are communicators born 
or are they made? Are they naturally gifted people? I take, for example, there's this saying that says, you know, the camera loves this person. I, I actually recall watching a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but it's pretty good. It's the guy that played the second James Bond, George Lazenby, right after yes. Sean Connery. And up until getting the role of James Bond, he had never acted in front of a camera in his life, you know. He kind of scammed his way up until he got to the director and the producer, and then they had no choice but to go with him because they had already made the choice. So uh, what I'm trying to ask you is, uh, in your experience, are people naturally gifted at being excellent communicators in front of the camera, or can they train themselves to become better in as much as uh, they're not necessarily going to be movie stars? In my experience, what I've observed is that the camera loves certain people, and you don't really know it until you put a put the camera on them. And, and it's pretty incredible, and that's why Hollywood has something called the screen test because mm. they, you know, they would bring out an, an, a number of you know very talented and attractive men and women, and they actually had to put them in front of the camera to see if they sort of had that magic. That's kind of a a, a different thing um, for most. You know, regular people um, is the thing that sort of distinguishes the movie stars. You can kind of see it, you know, um, you know, on the big screen. But for most people that are getting in front of the camera, it's something you really can learn and you get better at with practice. Um, and that I, I like to think about it is if you really desire to get better on it, you know, in any field, you're going to observe what you did the last time. Mm-hmm. Just like football players look at game tapes. Um, So you want to understand and not be harshly judgmental, but just look at it as, hey, I didn't do this the way I wanted to do this. I'm going to do this differently next time. And that process of experimentation, trial and error, um, getting up and doing it again and again is really, really helpful. And what you start to realize is that many of the stars in Hollywood got to be so good at it that they would actually tell people what director they wanted to work with, what lighting person they wanted to work with, and how they wanted the lights actually to uh, be set up for them because they knew what side they looked best from. That's pretty interesting. And as we start to wind down the show, I have a couple of uh, wrapping up questions for you. Um, So we've talked a little bit about producing great video for people to consume. But on the other side, we're also going to talk about, you know, the person that's going to consume the video, the audience or the tribe. How important is it for a communicator to know and understand their audience before creating a particular message that will hit home with the audience and resonate with that person? I think you've hit upon, you know, as was wrapping up, the most important thing is you really have to understand your audience. I don't care whether you're making Game of Thrones um, uh, or you're making a corporate video or you're making a film on Kickstarter um, 
or, or you're making the latest Star Wars. You need to understand and respect your audience. You need to entertain your audience. You need to tell them a story that is intriguing and surprising to them. And you need to give them the kind of experience that keeps them watching the whole time. And, and for entertainment, you know, it's certainly a different story than what we're doing in corporate video. But when we understand an audience, whether it's somebody who's applying to a college or it's a potential recruit for um, one of our corporate clients, if we understand the kinds of music they listen to, the kinds of things that they respond to, the kind of truth that they're seeking in this video, and what stage of the buying cycle they're in, mm. we can then make a video that is good for them. And I don't like to sell people things. I like to entertain them mm. and bring them into a story and educate them. And, and people don't like to be sold things these days. So yeah. uh, it's a different way of looking at it, but it all starts, as you suggest, with the audience. Yeah, and I think I've heard somewhere that education is the new selling, that if you're not able to educate and entertain your audience, you're not going to get much out of the relationship because that's the only way people respond these days is by getting educated and entertained. That's and, true for me. And um, my second to the last question before I let you go make some awesome movies for people is um, what gets you excited to come to work every day? Well, what gets me excited to come to work every day is the fact that when I look at, you know, government and business and religion and the state of the planet, I really think that business is going to be a huge part of the solution. And so if we can have businesses that are conscious, that want to do good within the, the world in providing jobs and treating the environment well and having authentic leaders, um, that kind of business is going to make a huge impact. And I feel like we're storytellers for the next generation of planetary leaders. Mm -hmm. And so when we're working with a company that has those kind of values and I am the designated storyteller it's just amazing. It's such a rich and rewarding career. So a lot of listeners are mid-career, early-career people that are trying to strike out on their own and make it in the world. And many people would want to follow in your footsteps. So how can people learn to become better visual storytellers, kind of like what you did to, become, to get to where you are? Well, there's a few things that, that, that I did. I, did, I didn't go to film school, so, um, but I took a number of workshops with people who I considered some of the best in the industry. So, um, and, and that allowed me to get into the workforce but take a week off and study with somebody like Vilmos Zygmunt who shot Close Encounters of the Third Kind mm. or Laszlo Kobe. Kovacs, who shot Ghostbusters. So I got to study with people who I considered, you know, artists and people that I would want to do things that are like them. Um, so I, I always found enriching myself with that. Um, the other thing is I'm constantly reading and learning, you know, um, whether it's subscribing to the Harvard Business Review to learn about how business stories are told or subscribing to American Cinematographer to see how the latest visual techniques and, and movies were shot. So I'm kind of 
jogging between, you know, left brain and right brain, you know, mm-hmm. business and art and how to combine those. The other thing is I just, I never give up. And, mm. um, I also found early on that at least in the film business, I found people to be very generous. And then when I've ever tried to connect with somebody, no matter at what level it is, um, in a human way, in a respectful way, um, most of them have said, yes, I will talk to you. So I reached out to um, uh, an editor of uh, Ordinary People, which is one of my favorite sort of human dramas and won the Oscar um, back in its time. And, and the gentleman you know, gave me a couple hours of time to talk to me about how his career would go. So mm. I, I think that generosity uh, of spirit and talking to people and always setting your sights really high because you know we the world needs really gifted powerful storytellers who've set their sights very high mm-hmm. the world doesn't need a lot of mediocre filmmakers there's just too many people out there that are doing that that way mm. that's fantastic and my friend with that said we've reached the end of the show so before i let you go where can people learn more about you and get the book leadership in focus well we've put a dedicated website up called vernoakley.com and there's information about filmmaking and there's some articles there and a direct link to amazon to connect through there so i think that's the best way and are you active on social media, Twitter, Instagram? Do you have Instagram stories or snaps? Um, I'm, I'm active on Instagram and, and Twitter okay. um, and LinkedIn. So great. people can connect with me on any of those. Great, great. And with that said, it's been a pleasure talking to you for the last 45 minutes, Vern. I wish you continued success in your journey as an entrepreneur, as a storyteller, as a businessman, as an author, speaker, teacher. And we look forward to seeing maybe you crossing over from not just telling corporate stories, but telling us, you know, some uh, stories for the audience. Well, I don't know what what medium I'm going to use, but you know, I I love all the new technologies and virtual reality. We just finished stuff in there. We're doing personalized videos, interactive. The storytelling medium is changing so much. I'm so excited to be making um, craft in this particular time frame. Yeah, and are you going to make a video video of the book? You know, that's we've been thinking about that. You know, you know, we just might do that. Yeah, I think it will be a great addition to the package but uh, that's just one guy because i really enjoyed it and i think you know having a visual story to support your your expertise would also be good so something to think about thank you appreciate it, G. great hey everyone thanks for tuning into the show today if you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast go to itunes and leave a review and a comment it helps other great listeners like yourself find the show and of course you can always find more episodes of the bulletproof entrepreneur podcast at www.odogwu.com